Welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Tooth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Before we begin tonight's program, I just want to let you know that the next show we are doing is a four-part series on the coming global economic collapse. Yes, it is not the most metaphysical topic. However, it is. I can't think of a more important thing to bring to your attention. It really is going to impact all of us. And part four will actually talk about the metaphysical meaning behind this big collapse and why it's important for you. However, our focus of tonight is going to be about heaven. Is there proof of heaven? Does it exist? I have to say, I question it. My wife is convinced that heaven exists, and she says that heaven exists because it is the five seconds of time where I'm not speaking and gasping for air, taking a breath in. That little moment of quiet. She just says, that's heaven. That's how she knows that heaven exists. I guess heaven can mean anything. Are we destined to go there? You know, we've covered this topic a lot, but I can't say it with any certainty. However, our featured guest is very famous. And he did a lot of media interviews. And his book has 10,000 reviews on Amazon. His very first book. Talking about his experience in heaven. Let us begin tonight's program. Joining us now is Dr. Evan Alexander, an academic neurosurgeon for the last 25 years. He is author of the best-selling book, Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. Dr. Alexander, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to the program. Ryan, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. You. Well, your visual description of your near-death experience is absolutely amazing, visually compelling. I want to start out with the moment that you realized you had died. What was that experience like? Because you talked about how you had left your body and you were in this real dark place at the beginning. Were you seeing this reality or perceiving this reality through your own eyes? Or how was the perception, how would you describe the perception of your reality after you realized you had died? Well, I think it's important to point out that one of the really striking and unusual features of my near-death experience was that I was completely amnesic for the life of Evan Alexander throughout the entire experience. I had no personal memories of Evan Alexander's life. In fact, no words, no language, no concepts of Earth and this universe, none of my religious concepts, none of more than uh, 20 years plus spent as an active neurosurgeon pursuing and understanding a brain-mind consciousness. Every bit of it was completely deleted. So there is no sense in which I was aware of, quote, having died. In fact, the very beginning of it, as I mentioned, that earthworm eye view uh, was really my first uh, exposure to any kind of existence at all. That's why the amnesia is uh, such a crucial concept. And even though it's atypical, I often say that it makes my uh, NDE in many ways kind of the exception that proves the rule. Uh, that shows the reality of, you know, millions of similar accounts over thousands of years. Uh, but it's very important to understand that there was a n no point in any of that where I thought, you know, that I had, quote, died, uh, unless you might argue that the very end of it all, after a very extensive odyssey, um, when I uh, saw the six faces that I describe in Proof of Heaven, including 
one face in particular that really compelled me to uh, try and understand it all and make my way back to this world. But other than that, there was never any kind of sense of uh, having died and left a, any kind of a human form. And that's, uh, I think, an extraordinary part of my journey that helped me to yeah. come to so many conclusions that I would not have reached otherwise. Now, when you were in this place, you were in this darkness place. You felt like it was an earthworm situation where maybe let's call it an absence of this heavenly celestial light. Did you at ever at any time perceive that to be an absence of God or did you feel that this darkness, the surrounding darkness, was in some way, shape, or form a correlation to any kind of darkness that you may have had within your own life and that you may have been experiencing yourself on that particular level? I would say initially that earthworm eye view, that very kind of foreboding and unresponsive kind of subterranean uh, existence, um, I think you know, for a long time I saw that as the best consciousness that my physical brain could muster given that my uh, entire neocortex, the human part of the brain, the outer surface, was being devastated by this uh, very primitive and aggressive bacterial meningitis. So uh, in that sense, it was a very kind of dim uh, and murky, low-level uh, kind of, of conscious awareness. Uh, and that, of course, was... Um, uh, the situation for a very long time, but then I was rescued from that by that slowly spinning white light, that pure, clear white light that came uh, enfolded with a perfect musical melody, and that spinning white light served as a portal up into higher and much more ultra-real uh, regions, the Gateway Valley, and then on all the way to the core realm that I describe in Proof of Heaven. Okay, and when this being appears you describe it, what is your initial impression and, and do you have a familiarity like that this person or this being or this essence could have been somebody who you recognize on Earth or a series of people that you recognize that you've been in contact with on Earth? Well, really, again, the, the importance of the kind of tabula rasa, the empty slate of having no memories, no kind of prior you know, preconceptions about the nature of the universe, uh, all of this was brand new. Everything was presented to me uh, as shockingly new, um, and, and that's why the experience uh, was so remarkable and, and so rich with the lessons is because I basically had such an empty slate going in. So and certainly my awareness of divinity and of the infinite healing power of that source of pure love, uh, the creative source of the whole universe, that to me was, was shocking, and it first presented... Uh, in that gateway valley, in that ultra-real, uh, idyllic valley, um, as what I described as this soft summer breeze, a perfect uh, wind, what I called in my early writings uh, the breath of God or divine wind, was that awareness of the divine and of the power of it through all of the lowest realms, including our lower four-dimensional space-time material realm, as well as lower and higher spiritual realms. That divinity was an absolute and shocking surprise that was a great gift to be offered up in that fashion. Sure. Now, when you're experiencing divinity, this beautiful divine presence, even though you were not Evan, Dr. Evan Alexander, you lost track of who you were, did you have, um, this is a two-part question, did you have any sense that you were a uh, an, a 
separate being? Did you feel separate from the divine presence? Did you feel that the divine presence in any way, shape, or form was a part of you, or did you feel that the divine presence was something that was outside of you at that time? I would say my initial awareness of it as that point of awareness that was just kind of learning the rules of that realm, uh, that there was a sense of separation. But what I came to cl clearly to see through this journey um, is that that oneness, that infinite power uh, of that creative source of the entire universe is right there at the core of our very consciousness and that each and every one of us uh, are are absolutely interconnected as the one. In fact, I would say so much of the difficulty of our human understanding of, of so many of these concepts and even a major difficulty right there at the heart of our conventional science and scientific method has to do with that false sense of separation uh, and certainly uh, a realization that came to me throughout this experience that uh, any time that we isolate parts of the system and pretend that they're separate we are introducing uh, distortions and confusion and and I would say that that is absolutely right at the cornerstone of why our current uh, conventional science which is broadly labeled reductive materialism you know that you reduce everything down to the fundamental makeup of the material world and then you understand those laws and that leads us to an understanding of the universe that that whole approach is faulty uh, just because of the that false sense of separation and the amount of distortion that it introduces. That's why I much more favor a top-down approach uh, that I believe is available to us through uh, deep meditation and centering prayer and other forms of coming to the highest uh, synthesis of you know who we are and what this is all about and understanding it from that viewpoint as opposed to going down to the sub-basement and assuming that you know, deconstructing it all and then trying to reconstruct it will tell us how the whole thing works. We lose a lot of information uh, through throwing out information, which is what we do in that uh, reductive uh, process of reductive materialist science. All right. Now, as somebody who understands the brain very well and, you know, obviously with your background and experience, do you feel there is a scientific explanation as to why the brain is unable to perceive a, the amount of information that is necessary in order to have a more concrete or fundamental perception of life beyond the physical body. Do you feel that it is a part to do with the brain not being able to process the information, or do you feel it is more about the individual who is not able or unwilling to be open to the idea of life beyond the physical body? I think it's much more limited by our belief systems. Uh, the belief systems are drilled into us by our culture, uh, and our culture is absolutely toxic uh, with uh, the, the false beliefs of atomism, that is that the universe is made up of separate parts and that the way to understand them is by looking at those separate parts, uh, and also the false belief of... Uh, of physicalism. Uh, that would be the belief system that the only thing that exists is the physical world and that there is nothing else operative in the, in the uh, kind of unfolding causality and emergence of actualities uh, and reality. And in fact, those uh, elements of our belief system that uh, come in largely through our materialist science are very damaging. 
Uh, and uh, in fact, they distort reality tremendously. Uh, so I believe that it is within the purview of emerging science uh, to come to a much deeper understanding of all this, but realize when I say that, uh, I fully mean that physicalist science is doomed. Uh, the idea that the only thing that exists is, is the physical material of the universe will go the way of, oh, the earth is flat. Oh, the sun goes around the earth. Uh, likewise, the belief that the physical must somehow account for the mental, that is the notion that the brain creates consciousness, um, is a false view that will be rejected. Uh, there's a much broader emergence in modern science uh, that looks at the brain more as a reducing valve or filter that limits pre-existing consciousness down to this minuscule trickle of the apparent here and now, which is part of the illusion that we, we live under. But in our materialist science uh, version of reality, that's the only thing that exists. And uh, it's completely false. You run into that, especially around what's known as the hard problem of consciousness, which points out that no neuroscientist or philosopher of mind on Earth has the remotest clue how to explain the emergence of consciousness from the physical brain. And I would say that's because it doesn't. But that is the emer that's the kind of view of a much broader science that I think will uh, address all of this quite handily. Uh, and for those who are interested, I refer them to the books Irreducible Mind, Toward a Psychology for the 21st Century, and also the book Beyond Physicalism, Toward a Reconciliation of Science and Spirituality. And both those are listed on the recommended reading list on evanalexander.com's uh, on my website. I definitely want to go there because, you know, you've got a lot of great things on your site, meditation CDs, you know, new books, events where people get to you speaking. Uh, when you were having your near-death experience and you were in this place that cannot be described as one being with the physical, were you offered any insight or any inclinations as far as the trajectory of humanity and any things that would materialize within the future based on humanity's current uh, way, the way we are? Did you see things or sense or gain an insight as to where humanity was particularly going? Well, yes, I would say that uh, the way it was presented to me and the way that I continue uh, to investigate and address uh, that realm and those teachings and that guidance and that knowing and understanding and that uh, coming to um, intimately be involved with the oneness of that creative source uh, through meditation. Um, and, of course, those who, who want to follow kind of a similar mindset in terms of my explorations, I would recommend they go to sacredacoustics.com and learn more about how we use differential frequency sound to get into deep transcendental meditative states. But yes, uh, it's become very clear to me, as it was presented at that uh, in my initial NDE, uh, you know, and all of that long before I had any return of memories of my life before coma, uh, this all has to do with the arc of human destiny. And I point some of that out. Uh, in my second book, which is called The Map of Heaven, uh, especially in the introduction and the, in the appendix, I talk about the, um, about the failures of materialist science to explain any of this, uh, but also it has to do with kind of human destiny uh, and, and where we are headed and, and why. And, of course, some of that is beyond the scope of those first two books, and that's why 
uh, I am working on a third book to try and really expound on it and, and share a lot of that. But, yes, it, it has to do with an understanding that all of this has to do with an awakening of humanity uh, that I think uh, in many ways has been foreseen by prophets for thousands of years. Okay, I want to point out and uh, let everyone know that on page 83 of your book, Proof of Heaven, you say this, that uh, you say, quote, I could see that Earth was a place where good and evil mix. It was constituted one of its unique features. Um, and also, small particles of evil were scattered throughout the universe, but the sum of all this evil was a grain of sand on a beach compared to the goodness, abundance, hope, and unconditional love of the universe, which was literally washed. This is the one of the only parts of the books, Dr. Alexander, where I'm going to say, I don't know, I have to say that I don't, I'm going to have a hard time grasping that concept, because if you look at the world right now, it seems to be completely immersed in evil activities, whether or not you look at the way animals are treated, whether you look at the way that there's so much perpetual war, perpetual famine, perpetual um, the way people are treating each other. If you look at societies right now, it seems that it is a debt and death paradigm where profit overtakes people. And maybe this is a small scope in the greater evolution of humanity. Maybe this is such a small blinking of an eye and humanity is going to be really great for, from the ground's eye perspective from the people who are just in their body who don't see life beyond the physical body for this lifetime how do you explain to them that the evil is only a small part that it's not as dominating as it appears to be at this present time well i look at uh, a lot of what is happening in this world today that uh, you know we can all agree there is a uh, tremendous darkness here with economic polarization of resources, with the rise of various very threatening fundamentalisms, whether uh, it's fundam fundamentalism in a religious sense, like with ISIS and with uh, the rise of uh, very deadly uh, Islamic fundamentalism or kind of the reactionist uh, Christian fundamentalisms that might be associated with that, with the uh, the fear-mongering that we see in the political campaigns, in, in our culture, etc. But my point of view is one that is much broader and tries to look over thousands of years of human history to make sense of it. And from that standpoint, and again, this is something that I do go into uh, in a little more detail in my second book, The Map of Heaven, um, but it really has to do with seeing that we are where we're supposed to be and that, in fact, uh, all of this apparent darkness and evil that seems to be rearing its head and and becoming much more flagrant uh, than uh, than it even was a few decades ago, uh, from my point of view, is a symptom of of the change that we are seeing coming. It is part of the dynamic, part of the engine that is driving uh, an awakening in humanity. Uh, I mean, for one thing, it starts to become clear that the status quo is not a viable uh, system. Uh, you know, what we see emerging with these uh, various fundamentalisms and with the religious fundamentalisms, I would certainly include the religious fundamentalism of materialist science because I see materialist science as a very threatening worldview that uh, in many ways is responsible for what we're seeing, all the successes of science and technology in the 20th century came with an ugly underbelly in the form of that polarization of economic resources, of destruction of the ecological system, of um, 
you know, a lot of the the uh, warfare and thoughtless homicide, suicide. I mean, there are there's this ugly underbelly of the successes of our modern science and technology, and I would say that a lot of a lot of the consequences of that have to do with uh, unbridling um, our our humanity from our deep spiritual nature and from a remembering of the divine within us all, that we are all interconnected. And some of these deeper truths that I think are evident when you look over human history over the last few thousand years have really been kind of, in some sense, swept under the rug by uh, the emergence of our materialist worldview, and that is a, a huge part of the problem. So much of what I say in, in Proof of Heaven and in the Map of Heaven uh, is uh, that we, we need to really rise above uh, that false sense of separation that arises from the dogma of various uh, religious teachings uh, and, again, including that materialist science as, as a kind of fundamentalist religion and realizing that we can have a far greater wisdom and rise above this uh, but this is something that it's it's up to us to discover and awaken to. And I believe that that is why uh, this kind of revolution in understanding of consciousness that I see coming around the world uh, is coming to us at this point in time. It has everything to do uh, with uh, serving to address all of those uh, horrific problems of the fundamentalisms as they kind of recoil against this world and explode with this apparent uh, kind of vitriolic uh, assault on our modern way of life. And this is all part of what I would say is a natural process. Um, and that's why the awakening is happening now. But it will be fueled because of great discomfort that arises through the uh, kind of uh, unrestrained expression of these fundamentalisms. And that's what I see is the dynamic that will drive us to an entirely new world order that I believe will be uh, unprecedented in recorded human history. Okay. A new world order, are you describing a new world order where it's a different paradigm where people are kind of living in, in harmony more with each other? Oh, yes. I think that is absolutely uh, a very real consequence of what will be emerging. But again, this is not a subtle um, kind of band-aid fix on our current worldview. This will be a revolutionary synthesis of the greatest wisdom of both Eastern and Western spiritual traditions as well as the leading edges of understanding of the nature of consciousness and the fundamental workings of the universe um, through investigations into quantum gravity and string theory and what have you, uh, the efforts to try and make sense uh, as best we can of the, the workings of this universe, all of this will be combined into what I see is this emerging a uh, revolutionary shift in our worldview that will be most refreshing and liberating uh, for all of humanity. Okay, you know I've heard a lot about this shift. I've, um, I've heard it from several different uh, teachers, and I've heard it um, various movements that this shift is coming, that humanity is going to make this breakthrough. Sometimes when I hear about it, I almost feel that some people it gives them an excuse to not make the effort to evolve and not make the effort to make the world a better place. This beautiful reality that is described that you've just described, I almost feel it has to be fought for. Anything worth anything worth having is worth fighting for. And I'm kind of really wondering if 
humanity is at a position to really fight for something like that. And if you look and you see the way the mass media is run, it seems that they have everything in their best interest to not have people awaken to this reality, to not have any grasp or sense that beyond the physical body, humanity's collective soul is one. I mean, do you find that there is a lot of resistance at this point in time? What can people do if you uh, can actually make that resistance become less? Well, I would say that, yes, there are uh, certainly a lot of uh, kind of parties in the uh, current system that tend to thrive on the conflict. Um, and uh, even even those who realize that in many ways what we're looking at as the possibility that we're walking down a road towards planetary suicide, um, I believe that uh, that is very much kind of the threat and the reality of what faces us, but I have a very optimistic way of looking at it because I believe that our ability to kind of see a deeper picture and realize the status quo does not cut it and realize that this is not going to involve uh, simply some minor Band-Aid fixes, but like I said a minute ago, a complete and revolutionary shift in our understanding of the nature of reality and of this world, uh, which will come through a much deeper understanding of the nature of consciousness itself. Uh, so in that sense, um, I certainly can see how, you know, from a superficial viewpoint, uh, like the mass media, they have a tremendous interest in uh, kind of keeping going with this uh, sense of conflict. I mean, that's where news comes from. And, in fact, I remember uh, thinking years ago that the arrival of 24 and 7 cable news was probably the death knell for the old world order because uh, <laughs> then the, the new, news media had to come up with stuff to fill all the uh, airtime. And, of course, usually they fill it with bad news and not necessarily good news. Um, and then, of course, there are major entities in kind of the corporate world and all that that, that have a lot to, to uh, lose if there is a shift from the status quo. But I would say that the overall status quo is showing us very clearly um, that uh, we must choose otherwise because I believe that our current pathway uh, without, you know, minus the awakening that I see coming in this world is a pathway of uh, planetary suicide, uh, which is an option. But I do not believe that our grander, uh, you know, our existence as simply beings uh, necessarily will lead down that pathway of suicide, but in fact, I think that we will respond to it uh, by having the major wake-up uh, that is coming to this world that I believe uh, will be the alternate to that planetary suicide. Dr. Alexander, how did your near-death experience change your the way you relate to your family and change the way um, you, you know, perceive spirituality? Were you a religious individual before this event? After this event, did you become religious? Did you become spiritual? How did it change your ability, um, your relatability after that? Well, I would say before my coma, um, you know, I had spent uh, more than 20 years as a neurosurgeon, more than 15 years as an associate professor at Harvard Medical School. thought I had some understanding of brain-mind consciousness. I wanted to believe uh, all that I was told in my Methodist church growing up. Uh, I wanted to believe in an afterlife and in a loving God and in the power of prayer. Uh, my decades spent in neurosurgery 
uh, really challenged my faith. And as I tell in the in the in my story in Proof of Heaven, I actually spent the last eight years before my coma uh, very agnostic, uh, almost militantly agnostic. And that has to do with personal details in my life, having to do with the fact that I was adopted and things like that. Um, but uh, what it showed me very clearly, what my journey showed me, even from the outset, and, and it's important to point out that my meningitis was so devastating that when I did come back to this world after a week in deep coma, which to this day is a mystery to my doctors that it has no explanation in Western medicine, um, you know, when I came back to this world, my brain was devastated. I had no words, language, no memories of my life before, et cetera. All that stuff took about eight weeks to slowly return to me. Um, and so all of this has been a process of trying to uh, kind of rectify my coma experience with everything else about my worldview. And in the months after my coma, uh, I came to realize that there were serious uh, issues of the events that occurred deep in coma that proved to me the absolute reality of the journey. Now, this is not, you know, heaven and that realm does not exist in four-dimensional space-time. Um, so it's not a place in the sense that we normally think of as a place. But in fact, it's a reality that's far more fundamentally real than the reality we experience in this four-dimensional space-time. And that is a very crucial part of getting all this. Now, uh, as I mentioned in Proof of Heaven, that most fundamental of realities is that love is the coin of the realm, that unconditional love has unconditional, or I should say infinite power to heal. And that is a critical kind of understanding of this. I've come to realize that every bit of our journey is about healing. Every bit of this is about learning and teaching and coming to grow. I mean, consciousness uh, among all sentient beings is in the process of evolving and growing. Uh, and that's what we are all uh, part of. We each do that individually in our own uh, growth, and of course, this is not just birth to death and nothing more, but we are all eternal spiritual beings, and we need to broaden our understanding of that to come to a, a fuller appreciation of how we each figure into this, but also realizing those false boundaries of self. And so it's a much richer uh, understanding that I have come to about the nature of reality, about sentient beings and what they represent, uh, how all of them are interconnected and not just interconnected with all other sentient beings throughout the universe, but with that divine creative source of pure love. And it's just a much richer way of seeing every bit of this. Uh, every bit of my function as a physician, as a healer, uh, has been completely uh, uh, upended and in many ways invigorated and rejuvenated by this much deeper understanding of, of the purpose for our being here and uh, the whole realization that the challenges in life, the hardships and difficulties, and certainly that includes illness and injury, uh, to come to see these as gifts. These are the engines that drive evolution of our souls. Just as uh, you mentioned in that passage from Proof of Heaven, of seeing evil as the little specks uh, that uh, essentially as impurities kind of drive uh, this uh, ascendance towards oneness with the divine. That's 
how I see every bit of this. And it's taking that much broader view uh, that I think has, has helped me to see how this fits into a, an understanding of human destiny and uh, where we are and where we're headed and how all of this is really as it should be. Okay, now, do you go to church? Do you consider yourself a religious individual? Well, I would say that the first and foremost, a proof of heaven and map of heaven are about realizing that uh, it, this is not a question of whether or not you check the box, uh, you know, I believe in God or Allah, Brahman, Vishnu, Jehovah, Yahweh, uh, all the above, none of the above, but realizing that the deep mystical traditions of all of the great faiths converge into one kind of, of uh, notion and sensing of the presence of an infinitely powerful uh, deity at the core of all of existence. And, and I came to see the similarities of, of religions, and I would stress there the mystical traditions of the great religions, because I think the uh, the more superficial versions that are spoon-fed to the masses are so kind of overladen with uh, dogma that has more to do with control of the masses uh, that in many ways it's very obscuring of the deeper truth, uh, but that uh, this is all about a very enhanced spirituality because we are all truly eternal spiritual beings. So uh, that is the part of us that must awaken. Um, and also, again, the false boundaries of self are built into so much of our dogma and understanding, including a lot of the fabric of our conventional orthodox religions. And again, I think when you go back and look through the history of all that and how, how all of it evolved, and when you look at how so much of this originated with messages from prophets and mystics uh, who went through journeys uh, very similar to mine, to territories very similar to mine. Um, this is a much richer way of understanding, and that's why in the book Map of Heaven, I make a big point uh, in the appendix that the answers lie within us all. Each and every one of us as sentient beings have access to this much grander knowing, but we must go within to get that and realize that the little voice in our head, uh, the little, that little voice is very tightly tied with uh, ego and with those false uh, senses of self. Uh, don't think that that or rational thought or logical trains of thought is the pathway to truth and to deeper knowing. But by going in, this is why uh, in Map of Heaven, that appendix, the answers lie within us all, is really a clarion call for meditation and offers up the tools of sacred acoustics. So if people go to sacredacoustics.com, they can get these tools and use them for their own meditative states and realize that that little voice in our head, as it's put in that beautiful book, The Untethered Soul, is little more than an annoying roommate and that, in fact, there is far greater wisdom within us all, that, in fact, the consciousness, the deep mystery of consciousness that challenges modern science and that is part of this much greater awakening that I see facing humanity right now, that consciousness is the observer, it's the awareness, and we can cultivate a much richer awareness by realizing that consciousness is not created by the physical brain at all. And by going within, we're actually going without to the source of all creation and all of what is evolving in the universe. And so this is not something you can think your way to, but I would strongly urge people to go within to come to know and realize in a much richer fashion. 
do you believe in previous and past lives, or do you feel from your perception that this is the only chance we have in the physical body? Now, this is something I go into. Is There's a deluxe anniversary edition of the book Proof of Heaven. It came out a year after Proof of Heaven, where there are 30 additional pages in an afterward, where I go deeply into how the implications of the eternity of consciousness and that we're all eternal spiritual beings that are infinite uh, and eternal in our nature uh, part of that understanding, of course, is that reincarnation is very real. Uh, before my coma, I never read anything about the scientific basis of reincarnation. A lot of the work, especially out of University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies, notably Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker, uh, they have more than 2,500 cases of past life memories in children where the uh, best and most ready explanation is of actual reincarnation. So I think uh, the reality of it is right there in our face. Uh, it's in making sense of all that. Uh, and to me, of course, none of this makes sense without realizing that we uh, go through multiple incarnations, all participating in this growth of our soul groups, which in reality is the evolution of all consciousness through all of sentient beings and their interactions through this uh, kind of physicalist realm, uh, towards learning and teaching the lessons that we're uh, participating in towards that uh, evolution of consciousness. Dr. Alexander, when you were in that dark place during your near-death experience and you didn't feel the presence of God, the divine presence, did you ever sense that there was a counterpart consciousness to God that is a dark-based consciousness that will pull an individual soul or humanity towards a darker place, that God needs to be balanced by a uh, equal partner of darkness in order to balance out the realms? No, I would say that uh, is, as you pointed out in, in the reading from Proof of Heaven about kind of the awareness of the specks of evil, and evil is kind of that trace impurity that served as the engine to drive our growth. Um, I would say that... Uh, I very much came away from my journey realizing very fully that this is not a battle between good and evil. I did not come away from that seeing that there were forces of light and love and, and opposing and equivalent forces of darkness and evil and that this was about some Armageddon. It became very clear to me that the force of that infinite love, uh, that love and light, is an infinitely powerful positive force and that, in fact, darkness and evil are simply the absence of that, um, of that force. And, of course, this is the dynamic that I see growing this entire evolution of consciousness uh, is the fact that, that we have either you know, the presence of that light and love or the absence of it. Uh, and it's that dynamic, kind of the choreography of that grand dance that is driving this uh, kind of awakening and understanding in all of uh, progression um, of sentience throughout this universe. And so in that sense, a very strong and very concrete realization that the powers of love and light will always overwhelm uh, their absence in the form of apparent darkness and evil, uh, but that that is what we are seeing in this unfolding dynamic. And the final question I have for you, Dr. Alexander, is this. People are going to come discover your work, and they can discover your work at uh, ebenalexander.com. Again, you go to Dr. Alexander's site. You'll find out about his books, 
speaking engagements. He's got some great meditation CDs. Highly, highly recommend you check it out. And I also highly recommend you read Proof of Heaven. It's a real well-written book. I mean, I was just amazed at how quickly I read it and um, how visual it was. Do you? Um, what advice would you offer to a person who's really seeking to jumpstart their evolution, who really wants to look and start examining life beyond the physical body? If there's one or two or maybe even three truths that you learned as a result of your experience that you would say are the most important lessons, what would those lessons be? I think the most important lessons first is to realize, uh, and this is a message to each and every soul out there who is kind of wrestling with this, especially those struggling with the initial stages, is realize that you are powerful far beyond your wildest imagination. You have the ability to affect and determine how this world is unfolding uh, and to not doubt at all the power within you, but come to realize that that power can only be discovered by um, questioning fully all of the dogma that is presented to us in our, our, our kind of modern secular society uh, and to go within for the answers. And again, going within uh, is where I recommend people pursue a course of meditation, you know, meditate 20 or 30 or 40 minutes or more a day. I've, I try to meditate an hour or two or more each and every day. I've been doing that for more than five years now. And I promise you that the benefits in terms of creativity, in terms of insight and guidance, in terms of living one's own personal life, in terms of understanding how uh, one fits more uh, neatly into a big picture that uh, we have power over to uh, drive in a way that we see fit, that this is all about manifestation of free will. I fully came to see that I believe that that infinitely loving God loves us so much as to give us the gift of free will. Now, remember that my scientific training uh, very clearly says in conventional materialist science that none of us have free will. My journey showed me clearly that, in fact, I was completely wrong on that count. And this is how we can manifest that free will. Go within um, and also come to see how we are all truly connected. Uh, and then, in fact, the real energy that we can bring to this is by remembering the love of the divine for each and every one of us and that we are worthy of that love. And the best way to feel and appreciate and know that love is to serve as a conduit to allow that love to pass through us. And therefore, in showing compassion, forgiveness, acceptance, and mercy, and above all, love, love for ourselves and others, is the pathway to this much higher truth. And, of course, this is nothing new. Uh, this kind of teaching has been around for thousands of years, but uh, the power of it is something that I think we're just beginning to come to realize with this conscious awakening, and it's a power that each and every individual soul can harvest to their own benefit. Dr. Evan Alexander, I want to thank you so much. It was a real fascinating Great interview. I want to tell you how much we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being, being with us today. Well, thank you, Ryan, for having me, and God bless you all. Joining us now is the queen <laughs> of the universe, psychic medium and empath, Miss Carrie O'Connor. You can learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and get a reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. So, Connor, what can you tell us about Dr. Alexander? 
Dr. Alexander is an amazing man. He absolutely came on his time on earth as a messenger to help raise the consciousness. And I love those stories, Ryan, when you hear about somebody that's very left-brained and that he's a you know, neuroscientist or neurosurgeon, and then he has this meningitis, almost dies, breathes from the dead, and then he's promoting people and he's merging science and spirituality. And we've been waiting for this day, this bridge to happen for years and years and years. So I, he's a wonderful advocate, bridging science and spirituality, speaking about energy. The amazing experiences that he, ha- that he had is just, it's, he's going to get those people that are very left-brained, that have been sitting on the fence, either because they're so left-brained and they don't believe it, he's opening the doorway for those people. And the other people that could have been right-brained and kind of, you know, just wanted more details, he gives a beautiful um, image, the details that God came up with are I mean, amazing experiences. So he's here as a major bridge. Okay. And is there any dis- significant past life? I, I did see a past life with him in Spain in that he was uh, a king that was taken over by uh, people. It was uh, by really a good friend. It was a very big betrayal. And he didn't, wasn't killed. His family was killed, but he was scarred on his face. And it's interesting that he had meningitis in this lifetime because I saw on the back of his neck, it's called the God's mouth, and the back of his throat chakra, and that's a direct line to our consciousness. He came up with that really open. So that life, he was maimed and scarred, lost to a lot of grief and pain, and he really held the uh, the people, his people. He was a very nice king, and he was right at the cutting edge time of helping the people make the next step in their evolutionary process. They were really doing some uh, good stuff there. He was laying down a foundation for wealth, and all of a sudden, a dictatorship came over. So he died leaving. Uh, like this void in his energy field that he wanted to help people evolve. So he came in here with a direct line of communication. So his God's mouth, the back of his throat chakra, it looks like a tube that goes right up to his higher consciousness. So that lifetime in particular affected him because he wasn't able to finish what he wanted to do. And during this experience, when he was out of his body, Mm -hmm. as he describes in his book, Proof of Heaven, is there any way to... I guess geographically point out where he was. What was there a particular dimension he was in? Was he? Um, is there a particular reason why he, during this experience, he saw darkness and then saw light? Right. Well, a lot of times the darkness is when we can get in the void, and then if we are um, we cross over and we have the emotion of self worth or just. Uh, really negative feelings, we can get pulled into that dimension. Stuart Weil will call them the hell dimensions. But he went over there with more logical brains, so he didn't immediately go into those emotions. But I thought it was fascinating how he spoke of the music, like led his way. And whenever I see the celestial doorways, Brian, it's all different dimensions. And every note, let's say, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, is a pathway and a doorway to a higher dimension. And so the light, the sound, is the pathway in the doorway. So he was guided by the light. A lot of people, or the sound, I should say, a lot of people talk about the magnetism and the light that drew them in this feeling of unconditional love. But I loved how he spoke of the, the sound. The sound, to me, is a, literally a vibration that opens up that doorway. So he was guided to that. And as far as dimensions, he was definitely way beyond the seventh. And he, I saw it as like stairways to heaven. 
each note again brings you to a different part of this of the um the spiritual dimension so he had access to many dimensions there the celestial world are there is is heaven in a is in heaven reside or celestial type worlds reside in the seventh dimension or there can, can they be corresponding heaven and hell like realities across all different dimensions and if so what would be the profound differences in terms of qualities and characteristics of a heaven seen in a fourth dimensional reality as opposed to a heaven in a seventh dimensional reality? Well, the way I see it, when you reach the higher dimensions, let's say when you go in seventh, it has such a high frequency energy. Think about the thousand watt light bulb going to a hundred thousand watts. And from what I understand, when I'm going in those worlds, you can, it's kind of hard to describe. You can see and have access and you know that there's other dimensions. But when you get really into those high, high 100,000 watts, the spin is so fast, it spins out any dark uh, dimensions. I don't see the hell worlds going right, um, merging with the celestial realms when you go way up there. Does that make sense? Yes. Absolutely. And last question I have for you, Ms. O'Connor, is this. Is there any particular person in this lifetime that has been with him for uh, several other previous lifetimes? Is there one particular person that continues to be with him or maybe be his main person that he continually to evolve with? I see his son, Bond, the one that, the 10-year-old that went and found him, and he was the one that uh, opened up his eyes and said, Daddy, you're going to come back. And I just thought it was an interesting name, Bond. And at first I thought James Bond or whatever. But then I saw <laughs> Bond is a bridge also. He's got this... Um, Looks like a U-shaped umbrella over or rainbow over Bond's head. So they've had many, many incarnations as far as brothers together. They've been cousins. They've been all different kind of uh, father-son. Where where Bond was the son. So they have such a high heart connection that that Bond, his son, his frequency, his sound would be very familiar to his dad. And that Bond really helped him learn how to navigate over there. So his son. Definitely was is somebody that he's traveled with um, in many many different lifetimes. Absolutely, Miss Carrie O'Connor, the Queen of the Universe and Psychic Medium and Empath, <laughs> amazing titles. To learn more about Miss <laughs> Carrie O'Connor and to get a reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor, please go to our website at carrieoconnor.com. Miss O'Connor, that was a phenomenal analysis. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. It's always a pleasure. Joining us now is the astrophenom, our astrologer, Miss Constance Dellis. You can learn more about Miss Constance Dellis and get your chart reading done with Miss Constance Dellis by going to her website at constancedellis.com. Miss Dellis, can you tell us about the star chart reading of Dr. Evan Alexander? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, an interesting experience and an interesting chart. Uh, the first thing that struck me was that uh, his chart has all the earmarks of a surgeon immediately. And um, that is uh, an interesting thing astrologically because there was a French um, researcher, he was a statistician named uh, Michel Gauquelin, and he, he was infuriated with astrology because he said it's a bunch of nonsense. And he started running statistical models on astrology charts. And by the time he finished his research, he said, wow, there is something to this. 
and uh, one of the zones, he called them Goklan zones, was Mars in the first house as uh, indicating um, medicine and uh, a surgeon. Mars rules the knife and uh, even lasers or whatever we're doing nowadays. And uh, in the first house, it's the, the chart of your, your, your personal self. So he is doing um, this time around exactly what he was meant to do. Now, the near-death experience, which was unusual and caused him to write this book, uh, is also interesting in the chart. Uh, he's a wonderful communicator. Uh, his, his sun sign is Sagittarius, and his moon sign is Aquarius, and those two are in a very um, uh, opportune relationship. In other words, he has the opportunity to not only uh, work on his own career, his own life, but to spread the word and affect a number of people. But what I was saying in the beginning is that um, people born in 1953 usually have Neptune and Saturn very close together. Neptune meaning illusion, delusion, also spiritual evolvement, and anesthesia, uh, and Saturn uh, hard-cold uh, reality facts and structure. Now, he has them together, but they're in different signs. So Neptune is in Libra in his chart, and Saturn is in Scorpio. So that tells me two things. One, he has a, um, uh, a sensitivity to uh, other realms of uh, other dimensions and realms of experiences and that he he um, spiritually can um, not only experience but survive uh, a little foray into a different world but Saturn says he comes back and tells people about this experience and that it has changed his entire viewpoint on life and on his his career, and I don't know if he's still practicing medicine, but um, I'm sure that it's a very different kind of uh, experience for him and for his patients than when he started uh, started out. He also has uh, just temp uh, you can ask a question, but he also has no Earth in his chart. By that, the element Earth is right here, concrete reality. So the um, ability to move um, spiritually or into another dimension or however you wanted ex uh, to express it um, is is much easier for someone who than for someone who is very attached to the here and now and their body and their uh, material plane. What I wanted to know, Ms. Dulles, is this profound experience that he had in this particular life incarnation, was this something that was destined to happen or was this something that you feel may have happened as a pleasant surprise? And also do you sense or gauge that this profound experience that he had would actually impact the rest of his lifetimes going oh, forward? Oh, absolutely. For the last part of the question, absolutely it's impacted his life going forward. Um, he has the planet Uranus, uh, which is sudden shifts, revolution out of the blue planet, and, and very electrifying, right up at the top of his chart. Now, uh, in someone who hadn't had such an experience and also someone who isn't as educated and uh, skilled as uh, Dr. Alexander, 
this might mean a lot of shifts and different, um, a lot of different jobs, um, a lot of restlessness, uh, moving around in, in different experiences. But he kind of took the big leap, you know, from regular, quote-unquote, reality to uh, uber-reality or over-reality. So I think because he has the gift of communication as well, he's, he's a writer um, as, as well as a speaker, that uh, this he, he kind of stepped over the great divide and came back to uh, tell us uh, about it. And uh, research into near-death experiences are, is becoming quite common, not that everybody has them, but people know the outlines of it. His was a little bit different because I think he was um, he was ill, right? He had meningitis? Yeah. 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 So so he had to kind of fight through different levels there. But uh, definitely, uh, now your question was, was he meant to have this experience? Um, let's put it this way. He was meant to... Um, interpret this experience and share it with a uh, wide group of people. It could have come in a different form, but this is the form the energy took. And I'm not so sure that that was his um, willing or his consciousness. It's kind of the way it played out. Um, he was not meant to, to check out to the great beyond at that moment. Um, nor will he be for some time to come. He has a long life in, uh, ahead of him. And so uh, the fates, his, his chart, whatever, said, well, we've got to get you back, back down here. <laughs> you have other things to do. And his uh, life path is, um, is to explore and um, move forward with... Uh, an experience that has put him in touch with um, other levels in a very uh, intimate, personal way. And last question I have for you, Ms. Stellas, is based on the chart reading, is there anything you can tell about his upcoming life as far as what he'll do, what who he'll be, and what time frame, what era or year do you think he might come back in? Oh, uh, uh, when he will reincarnate, you mean? Yes. Ah, okay. Well, this particular time frame on this planet, which is the here and now, uh, he is going through Saturn transits. And Saturn transits um, structure and um, put a quote-unquote reality face on all of the life experiences because he's now 62. So, um, and as I said before, he has a long life in front of him. And I think that he will uh, continue to speak and write about this uh, experience. Um, and then he's going to kind of uh, cool it for a while um, uh, because... Um, I think that he wants to spend time with family, spend time with his own soul and self, and um, um, uh, express things as he wants to express them. In terms of the next lifetime, um, it's, it's hard in words to give a picture, but in terms of energy, he will be an earth sign, so that's either Taurus, Virgo, or Capricorn, and he will have all of this experiential 
uh, information and energy in his soul and next time around be able to um, detail it and share it in a um, professional as well as personal uh, level. Miss Constance Stellis, the Astrophenom. Thank you so much for that great analysis. And to learn more about Miss Constance Stellis and to get your chart reading done with Miss Constance Stellis, please go to our website at ConstanceStellis.com. Thank you so much, Miss Stellis. My pleasure. My pleasure. Joining us now is the clairvoyant cowgirl, psychic medium, Miss Lisa Kaza. You can learn more about Miss Kaza and get a reading with Miss Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Miss Kaza, what can you tell us about Dr. Alexander? Dr. Alexander, I find him extremely interesting. Um, one thing I will say right off the bat is that he definitely, you know, for those skeptics, skeptics out there, I'm one of them, as many people already know, he definitely did have an experience. And, I mean, like, come on, it's, it's actually extremely hard to um, convert, for lack of a better term, a, a totally scientific mind, as uh, Dr. Alexander's was, to seeing or even being open to the more spiritual aspect of being. So there is a definite, very profound experience that he went through. Now, the next message that I received was that it wasn't necessarily a true death. It was not death. I don't see a flatlining here. Um, he was in a coma, which is not death. Um, so essentially, I'm being told what had happened is that he actually astral traveled. So which Good. basically means like it's, you know, it's the same concept where the spirit separates from the physical body in order to go wherever the heck it pleases. <laughs> it goes to explore. But the physical body does not die. So, you know, that's, this is one thing I do feel uh, Dr. Alexander should look into and <clears throat> to, uh, excuse me, to explore more because I feel that sure. that to be more accurate than well, saying a near death because it was not death at all. I'm just curious about one thing is that he said that during this experience he had no semblance or recognition of who he was as of his life on Earth. And aren't, when people are astral projecting, aren't they more aware that, they, that they're out of their body and they have a sense of who their personalities are? Yes, definitely. But the thing is, what's different with Dr. Alexander is that we need to remember why he was in that coma. He had horrible, horrible meningitis. And, you know, so that portion of his brain, the other portion of his brain, was not functioning. So, you know, when it comes to memory... Uh, knowing who you are and that kind of thing. No, it's not going to work. And it, take that a step further. Even he said that upon waking from his coma, it still took him several weeks for him to regain his memory of who he was, where he was, and that kind of thing. It had no, it's, that's nothing to do with the spiritual. It's more to do with the actual physical brain in itself. So that's what, what the difference is. But yes, uh, astral traveling and actual 
uh, full death, uh, there is a knowing of who you are and where you are. It's okay. it's like I said, it, it's it's more of a personalized experience to Dr. Alexander because of how he he went through the astral traveling. He had the meningitis experience, right? No. Are you able to, in any way, shape, or form, pick up on where he was, where he actually traveled to? Is there a particular place? And, and when I ask this question about where he was, is there a particular visual description or similarity to places that other people will travel to in this lifetime if they pass? Did, I mean, I want, I'm trying to gauge specifically where he went to. If there was what the dimension was. Or um, where his, you know, if it was, I don't know, I'm just really curious to find out where. Um, well, it's actually very difficult for me to, to describe because I've never been there, <laughs> you know, so I can't really say. But um, I think he'd probably even tell you, <clears throat> excuse me, the same thing, that it's rather difficult to describe. Like on one point, you know, I, I feel that there's like a, a bridge or, or something of that nature, like a, it's almost like a, a mirror image of this earth that that he saw, um, so he, but uh, surrounded by nature and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but then the further that the spirit goes, well, the further out the spirit goes. Um, so you go above the clouds and, and, and you see things up there. I, I can't even really describe... Um, it's just the different realms. He did go through different levels of of uh, the spirit realm. Um, the closest being is the one that I just tried to to describe, which is basically a mirror image of of this earthly plane. But it's all nature. I just see all nature. Maybe that's my own experience that I'll experience when I upon my passing. I'm not sure. Do you feel that Dr. Alexander? would have had a more terrifying or dark experience if he had had um, more feelings of anger or depression or hate within his heart at this time? Or was this experience going to be the experience regardless of what was going on in his life? No, I'm specifically, I, at first I was going to say, yes, that it would have been different. But <laughs> I actually got turned around and I'm going to have to say it wouldn't have mattered because it's all based around what actually his task and, you know, his major purpose is in this lifetime. Um, because I wasn't shown specific past lives, but the, the information that I have is that his spirit goes all the way back to, I got the years <clears throat> 500 to 700 A.D., and he reminds me a lot like Merlin in, back in that time, a very old soul. And every incarnation, every lifetime that he's ever had, it's all been geared towards medicine and magic, healing. But the thing is, it was always the physical medicine, the physical healing that he was focusing on, even in this lifetime, until he got this, uh, what I call a, a supercharged boost in in memory um to get him going on his true task and it's going to it's a quite the difficult task and basically what it is is there is there i don't care what 
the scientific community says, and at this point, I don't think he does either, so he'll probably giggle at that. But there is somewhere in our brains a small percentage or part that houses memories of past lives, awareness of divine, the oneness that he talks about, um, psychic abilities and, and things like that. And it's like a light switch that a person can turn on and off. That's how a lot of people like myself and the other virtues and other psychics and mediums, they, they have that light switch and they know where it is. Well, metaphysically speaking, and they can use, utilize it. But his task is to find that and to bridge the gap between the scientific and the spiritual. Again, it's not going to be an easy task, but that's ultimately what he's here to do. Um, like his, his spirit itself actually comes. So he's a star person. Um, he's, okay, so a star person he's, uh, from a, a different planetary system? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't, I, I don't ask me what the planetary system is. Carrie would be the one to probably ask that question. She'll be able to answer that. But um, a classic uh, symptom <laughs> or sign of the star person is to be so zeroed in and focused on technical things, on scientific things. And that's what Dr. Alexander was all about. He was so focused on, on that. But he was also so focused on trying to help humanity, help people, and help healing, which is another aspect of, of the star being. So they, they're here to help us to grow and to evolve and to heal. Um, so because, you know, lifetime after lifetime, he had been focusing purely on the physical, now he got that kick in the, in the arse, so to speak, to get himself working on the more spiritual, which he's doing. But again, his task is to try to bridge that gap and to find that area in the brain uh, where, like I said, where it houses all these memories of past lives. And you cannot tell me that it, it doesn't exist because it does. How can you explain, for example, like he talked about it himself, you know, children that, that have all these memories of past lives. So we know it's there. But where is it? So he's, he's, he's here to find it. And again, like I said, to, to bridge that gap between the scientific and the spiritual and to teach others how to bridge that gap, how to access that, that part of the brain where all of these memories and abilities reside. Miss Lisa Kaza, the clairvoyant cowgirl, thank you so much for your beautiful and thorough analysis on Dr. Evan Alexander. To learn more about Miss Kaza and to get a reading with Miss Kaza, please go to our website at lisacaza.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Kaza. Oh, it's a pleasure, Ryan. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth radio show. So thankful to have our featured guest, Dr. Alexander. I'm sure you probably noticed when we were doing the forensics analysis, I was like, joining us now. I had this, like, you know, kind of weird authoritative voice. You know what happened? Is that when I recorded these interviews, I started drinking fiber, and for some reason, when I drink fiber, it just psychologically puts me in the mentality of a 70-year-old grumpy man. Oh, get off my law, Johnny Gus. Now, I don't know what it is about this, but I just figured you'd have to know in case you were asking any questions. <laughs> to, learn, geez, to learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Tooth radio show, 
please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.